You are listening to the weekend message of Crossroads Church North Campus. Crossroads exists to make much of Jesus, and we do this by following in the way of Jesus and making disciples who love God and love others. To find out more about Crossroads, go to crossroadslive.com. Thanks for listening. Grace and peace. Today we are in the book of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. If you would like to follow along, you can stand with me, please. Now... On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. You may be seated. I don't know how I'm going to keep up with that reading right there. Felt like we were back there. Oh, well, good good morning and happy Resurrection Sunday. Uh, If I have not had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Andrew. And uh, this morning we're, we're going to look at the resurrection story Uh, But I want to point something out, because we often come to this Sunday morning ready to go, right? Like, we are ready to celebrate. I always joke with people, everyone's like, man, it's an early morning for you. You've got the sunrise service. I'm like, no, I'm flying. I love this day. Like, I just, I'll crash about mid-afternoon. I'll just fall off a cliff. But but right now, I'm I'm with you guys, because we're going to proclaim resurrection, some of you got new outfits on, you got maybe some new shoes, a new dress, you're excited for that, right? You came ready for this moment. But that first Resurrection Sunday, it, it, there was no anticipation. What they experienced was doubt, uncertainty, skepticism, fear. There was confusion all around. The very account that we just heard read was not confidence in what Jesus has done. It was confusion. And the account that we're going to look at, written by uh, the disciple John, a follower of Jesus, he's written down an account for us. He, He wrote it with a specific intent. He wanted to make sure that we understood some things. And and in John uh, 20, verse 31, we read these words. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. See, John is not writing as a neutral party to the resurrection. He's writing as one who was an eyewitness to the resurrection. He's writing as one who had given his life to follow after Jesus, who'd seen him minister to the masses, who'd given up all sorts of things so that he could focus on him. He was witness to the fact that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And so he's writing to both proclaim and persuade. 
He's writing to point all people to the hope and life that is found in Jesus. He's writing to you and me that we may come to believe and have life in his name. There's a song that's written that I think sums this up so well that John is aiming towards that we would crucify your hesitations. Wounded expectations bring. Will you welcome resurrection? Will you crown the risen king? That's the invitation that John is giving before us. Will we accept life in the name of Jesus? Will we crown him king? Will we see in him the hope of all humanity? Now, that's John's aim. And I just, just to be clear, I'm not a neutral messenger either. I've experienced firsthand the hope and the life that is found in Jesus. I've witnessed as others have stepped into life with him that he truly is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truest truth I know. And that is the truth that I want to proclaim with my very being. And while the choice is yours, what you do with that information, my prayer and my hope truly is that you come to know him as he is, our king and our savior, our rescuer, our redeemer, hope and life. But what I also know is that whether you've been following Jesus for a number of years or whether you're sitting in this room because someone forced you to come, we've all got reservations, I mean, think about this. If this is your first time here or if you're newer to church, you walk into a room where a bunch of people have gathered to celebrate a man who was dead now come back to life. It's a pretty big leap. I can see how that could be problematic for you. I lived in the Bay Area most of my life. And my family and I, one of our favorite things to do would be to drive over the hill and go to Santa Cruz. And we'd go there for a few reasons, good coffee, the ocean, and tall trees. We loved just hiking around and and seeing various things. But one of the back roads that we would often drive by, there was this small little museum that always piqued my curiosity. And I would always see it, and I'm like, one day I'm going to go. One day I'm going to go. Until finally one day I was driving by myself, and I was like, you know what? I've got some time. So I did what any one of you would do, and I pulled over, and I went into the Bigfoot Museum, right? (laughs) Because why not? And I remember, I walked in, opened the door. The first thing I was greeted by was an acrylic container with a a small slot on top and a padlock because there, there was a sign really well placed that said suggested donations for the museum, you know, and you could see the other donations that were there. And as I was looking at this, and then I began to take in this one-room museum with all of its glass containers and its hair clippings, its drawings, its sculptures, its foot moldings of Bigfoot, its maps of where he's been, as, as I'm just kind of looking at all this and taking it in, I begin to hear a voice. I was in a back room, and a conversation was happening in real time because someone had had a sighting. And so this guy is talking on the line. He's like, oh, yeah, no, that sounds like Bigfoot. Yeah, that's a Sasquatch, right? And they're, they're going back and forth, and they're having this conversation. I'm just, like, listening in. I'm like, oh, it's real, you know, like, it's, it's happening. But as I started to take in the full picture of what was happening, I had two realizations. I was the only person in the museum, yeah? which meant when he got done with that phone call, he's coming for me. Right? Second realization was like, oh, he's all in. He believes this. Like he's given his time, his energy, like towards the discovery of Bigfoot. 
And so as I kind of let these two things sink in, I did what any one of you would do, the honorable thing. I got out of there as fast as I could. <laughs> I did. I did. I still to this day, I'm embarrassed by it. But that was my impulse, my instinct of like, I don't, I don't think I want to talk to this guy. I don't. And so I got in my car and I drove away. But I still, I remember vividly as I was, I'm driving away and I'm still like feeling a little like flushed of like, ooh, that could have been awkward, right? God, God really spoke to me because what he reminded me of is that for many people, when you walk through the doors of a church, that's your experience. You're looking around at all these artifacts and all these different things and people are there gathered because they believe the truth that Jesus died, he rose again, and they, they, they want to persuade you of that truth. And so I understand if your instinct is like, I just, I want to get out of here, right? And maybe that's you and you're like, you're speaking to me right now. Will you let me go, please, right? <laughs> Let me just say, if, if that's you, well done, okay? Because you're still here. You're braver than I am. You made it past the meet and greet, right? Good on you. Well, well played. So but here's, here's what I know. Is that doubt and uncertainty, questions, reservations, those aren't things that, that aren't welcome here. This is the very place that you should be. Because when we look at this account of resurrection, it's the very things that we find in the followers of Jesus, those who'd walked with him. We, we see their doubt. We see their questions arise. We see their fear. And in seeing them, we see ourselves. See, doubt isn't the destination. It's the vehicle. It's the, the moment we will all drive through at some point. But in this story, ultimately, it ends with hope. And so where we find ourselves today is in chapter 20. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat back right in front of you. You can pull that out and follow along. If you don't have a Bible at all and you need one, just take that with you when you go. We'd love for you to have one. But we find ourselves in chapter 20, and as was just read for us, we, we see that Mary Magdalene, one of the followers of Jesus, one that had been affected by the ministry of Jesus, she's coming to the tomb. See, all the disciples had witnessed the death of Jesus. They'd, they'd seen him taken away, tried, crucified, and then laying in a tomb. That tomb was then sealed up so that no one could enter into it. And now Mary comes to the tomb, and she realizes the tomb is open, and there is no body in there. And as she freaks out, she goes and she runs to the other disciples. She grabs Peter and the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the beloved disciple, the one who authored this account, John. And the two of them run to the tomb as fast as they can. And because John's writing the account, he makes sure that we know twice that he got there first, right? Which I, I love that. I'm like, what a, like a human moment of like, no, by the way, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he got there first. And again, if you missed it the first time, I got there first. Peter was second. Because I was first. <laughs> but even in that, they're looking in and seeing this empty tomb, and then they go back to their homes, and it wouldn't be until Mary would go back later by herself that she would encounter Jesus alive. And that's where we pick up in this story, where everything begins to shift, where the confusion starts to come into a greater clarity. So picking up in verse 19 of chapter 20, it says this, On the evening of that day, 
So this is Sunday evening, that first day of the week. The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his sides, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So the disciples gathered together, locked in a room, Sunday evening. All these rumblings are coming around of something's happened with Jesus' body. We're still not quite sure. Mary's saying that he's alive, that she talked with him, that she encountered him, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. Now, why are they locked in this room? Well, they're locked in this room because they're afraid for their lives. They were followers of Jesus. And the religious leaders, the chief scribes, had begun spreading rumors, and they'd even paid the guards of Jesus' tomb to continue these rumors that it was the disciples that had stolen his body. Now, that tomb had been stealed by Roman law and was punishable by Roman law if you took that body. So they're hiding out thinking, we don't know what's going on. Jesus has died. All of our hopes seem dashed. Now there's talk of him being alive. But then they're saying, we stole the body. So they're looking for us. What do we do? And so they're huddled together in this room. And what we'll come to find out is that it's not all of them. It wasn't all 12. By this time, one of the 12, Judas, had already betrayed Jesus and taken his own life as a result. But then we get this detail in just a moment that tells us that Thomas wasn't there, but 10 of the disciples were. And as they sat there in a locked room, all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. Now imagine that moment. All of a sudden, Jesus shows up, and what is he proclaiming to them? He says, peace be with you. Shalom, wholeness, completeness be with you. I just, I just want you to go back in this room for just a second. Because he's showing them his marks and his wounds that, guys, it's really me. And just imagine all the, the grief, all the tension, all the confusion, all the speculation, all the doubts, all the anger, all the things that these disciples were carrying in this moment suddenly all come into focus and fall off as they are facing Jesus. Jesus, who is dead, but is now alive. See, just moments before, all their hope was gone. Everything they'd pinned themselves to was lying in a tomb, but now they are face to face with their risen Savior, and hope is very much alive. But this account doesn't stop there, and John continues to move us through. In verse 24, it says, Now Thomas... One of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. So Thomas, one of the twelve, one who had followed Jesus, had given up his livelihood to, to be a follower of Jesus, had experienced ministry alongside him, had walked with him. He's one of the twelve, but, but he's not there. He wasn't there. For whatever reason, we don't know. We don't get that detail. But based on what happens next, Thomas is is forced to live with this nickname that would outlive him for uh, eternity, it feels like. Doubting Thomas is what he would become known by. A name that really isn't fair in some ways because honestly, when we look at, at Thomas and what we know of him, we all need a Thomas in our life. At various moments in the life of Jesus, Thomas was willing to lean in. He said, Lord, I'll die with you. He was willing to do that. But then Thomas also had this ability that when questions arose, he was willing to ask them. 
There was a moment just before Jesus would go and face all the trials that he would experience that Jesus was saying, I'm going away, I'm preparing a house for you, but you know the way to come. And I imagine in this moment as Jesus is saying that to his disciples that they're all sitting there kind of looking at Jesus like, oh yeah, we're tracking with you, right? And then they're looking at each other like, I don't know what he's talking about. Do you know, do you know where he's going? I don't know. I don't know where he's going. Do you know? Do you know? And what does Thomas do? He asks Jesus, Lord, where are you going? How do we get there? I, I'm not tracking with you. And because of his willingness to ask this simple question, we get one of the clearest statements of just who Jesus is. Jesus responds, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying, I'm your path. Follow me. And so Thomas is, is in this moment. He's not with the rest of the disciples when Jesus shows up. And they're telling him, we have seen the Lord. We've seen him. And they're, they're filling him in. Thomas, we've, we've seen him. I know you heard the rumblings of the rumors, but we've seen him. We've talked to him. He spoke to us. He instructed us. He commissioned us. He's not dead, Thomas. He's alive. But notice Thomas' response to this. But he said to them, unless I see his hands in his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Unless I see him myself, unless I can place my finger in his scars to know that it's truly him, I will never believe. Notice the language here. It's not, I can't believe. It's, I will never believe. It's, it's a choice. It's an act of volition. I'm, I'm not going to even entertain that thought. I cannot go there. Now, how many of us have had moments where we just feel like, I can't possibly believe that? It's too great. It's, it's too much. Either we've said it or we've heard others around us say it, of like, this is too great a thing to believe. You can't change my mind. Nothing is going to shift. But what is the thing beneath the thing here? Because often below the, the surface of our words is, is the reason that sometimes we may not even realize or be able to name of why we're holding so tightly to our doubts. Have you ever had one of those moments where you've responded to somebody just like disproportionately, like they bump you a little and you're like, what are you doing? And you kind of lose your mind and they're like, whoa. What did I just walk into? And then you just realize, like, oh, I haven't eaten for a long time. I'm pretty hangry today, right? I got to take care of that. There's some stuff going on. See, Thomas had given up everything to follow Jesus. He'd, he'd placed all of his hope in him. And Thomas wasn't some, like, uh, kind of washing away kind of uh, disciple and, like, wishy-washy. No, he, he said to Jesus, like, I'll follow you. And, and, and at one point, he's like, guys, let's go follow him. And if we die, we die, right? That's essentially what, what he said. He was, he was all in. He'd given up everything for Jesus. All his hopes pinned on Jesus. And what happened? Jesus was killed. Jesus had ridden into Jerusalem, heralded as a conquering king, only to days later be crucified. What did he have to show for all that he had done? 
According to Thomas, all Jesus had to show for it was scars and a lifeless body. He was dead. And when you've been that crushed, isn't it hard to hope again? When you've been that disappointed, when you've been that let down, you you have a hard time even allowing the possibility of joy to sneak back into your life. So here in this moment with all of his friends coming to him, his companions, his co-workers, his ministry partners saying, Thomas, we've, we've seen him. He's alive. Just trust us. He can't even hear it. He refuses to hear what they're saying because it seems too impossible and he can't withstand the pain of another disappointment if it would come. I can't even allow that hope to rise in my heart. And isn't that where we can all find ourselves? Wanting to hope, like we want that hope, but so afraid of being burned again. So afraid of being let down again. And what begins to happen is our our past disappointment can begin to, to feed our doubts and it becomes a destination Our past disappointments begin to define our doubts, and they even begin to defend our doubts. Like, I'm justified in this because you don't know what I've been through. Don't we see this in our relationships? When we're wounded by somebody, we find it a whole lot harder to trust again, don't we? We see this in our careers, a setback, a reorg, a downsizing, And suddenly we find ourselves unsure of who we are, the value that we bring. Or if you just want to go real wide and just look at the institutions that are around us, we have no trust in any institutions right now. We're weary of everyone. Truth is all sorts of upside down to us. So when we begin to talk of resurrection, life where there was death, it can all seem too much. And here's the thing, if it's true, If Jesus rose from the dead, then we'd have to take that seriously, wouldn't we? We couldn't just ignore that, could we? Just park that? No, we would have to face, what does that mean that there's a reality to the resurrection? And to take the resurrection seriously, it changes everything. And so Thomas refuses to believe. I will never believe. Continuing on in verse 26, it says, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Eight days later. This is the way they would say a week later. They would include that day and then the seven days leading up. So it's Sunday night again, and all the disciples are gathered together again. The only difference is this time Thomas is with them. They're there. They're all together. The doors are locked again. The fear is still real. But he's had now eight days of doubting, eight days of disbelieving, eight days of his friends trying to convince him and arguing back and forth. No, Thomas, trust us. We saw him. Remember, he said he was going to come back again. He's done it. Eight days and still no belief. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. All of a sudden, they're there gathered. Doors are locked again. 
which is a, a strange thing of like, what did he do? Was he like open? Like we, we don't know. Jesus is just in the room. He's in the room. And now Thomas is seeing this for the first time. And, and Jesus, again, what's his greeting? Peace be with you. Shalom, wholeness, completeness. And there's, there's a few moments in Scripture where I would just love to have been a fly on the wall. This is one of those moments. Just to take in Thomas's face. But honestly, I would actually like to see all the faces of the disciples in this moment. My, my son, he, when he's excited about something, he's, he's got to share it with people. Uh, and there, there's a great instinct to this, but it can also be a real problem. Because if he watches a movie that he really enjoys, right, and then you watch it with him, he's going to let you know when all the good parts are coming, right? <laughs> like you're watching, he's like, oh, dad, you're going to love this. This is a huge surprise. You're like, not anymore. But he wants everyone in on what's happening. And I imagine as all of a sudden Jesus shows up again and Thomas is just eyes fixed on Jesus and the disciples are like looking at Jesus and then they kind of look over to Thomas and they're like, You know, just basking in this moment. And Thomas, I'm, I'm sure, just not paying any attention to what's happening around him, but just fixed. The hope that was once dead is now alive again. And the reality of the resurrection suddenly changes everything for him. And then Jesus speaks to Thomas he said to him, put your finger here. See my hands, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. In this moment, Jesus speaks directly to Thomas. And he speaks directly to his doubts. The very things that Thomas said, I will never believe unless. And Jesus is like, Thomas, you wanted proof? Here I am. Touch my wounds. Touch my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Now, if you remember where we started, John's intent in writing this biographical account of Jesus' life, there's a a theme of believing. He wants all to come to know and believe in Jesus that you may have life in his name. And John is bringing us to this moment where Thomas is proclaiming, about to proclaim his belief in Jesus. Why? Because of the presence of Jesus meeting Thomas in the midst of his doubt. Jesus doesn't belittle that doubt. He meets it. And so after this conversation, Thomas responds when he can finally find words. It says, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Thomas, with one of the highest proclamations of just who Jesus is in this moment. My Lord, the one who's over me, and my God, bringing humanity and divinity together. That's who Jesus is. You are so other. You are so high above. I'm giving my entire life to you in this moment. Now, just remember where we went from. Thomas started with, I will never believe to my Lord and my God. 
Now, there's a lot of us in this room that would have to swallow a lot of pride to get to that point, right? Because once we've said, I will never, right, that becomes a pretty big barrier for us to overcome because then we'd have to admit that maybe we were wrong. And I don't know if you're like me, but not a lot of us like admitting that. But what changed? What changed for Thomas in this moment? The reality of the resurrection. He had encountered the risen Lord, and this changed everything. A man who was once dead was now alive. And you got to remember, Jesus said he was going to do this. He was fulfilling the very thing that he said he would do. Jesus was not surprised by the breath in his lungs. He knew what he had come to do. He had come to seek and to save the lost, of which all of us are, every one of us. We have all felt the rift of sin that has marred this world. We feel the effects of it. We feel that we've missed the mark. We have our wrong actions, our pain, our shame, our failure. We have all of those things. And Jesus, knowing that there was no other way to come uh, out of those things, because we could never live the perfect life that, that that would demand. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And so Jesus came and lived the perfect life we could never live on our behalf. He took on our death so that in him we may have life. And therefore all who confess their sin, admit their wrongdoings, admit their need of a savior, all who confess and repent, change their heart, their mind, their being back towards Jesus, trusting in him, believing in him, all who believe in him, all who call on his name will have life in his name because the reality of the resurrection changes everything. But I know some of you are hearing this and you're like, well, yeah, if I was Thomas, I probably would have believed too. Because Jesus showed up, right? If Jesus suddenly showed up and began speaking to me, it might take away some of my doubts or my questions if I could physically see him. See, but the conversation that Jesus is having with Thomas is about to shift. And as it shifts, you're suddenly going to find that we're all now included in this conversation. We're just hovering around in the background as Jesus is speaking to us, and we don't even realize it. See, verse 29, Jesus says to Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Did you catch yourself there? You're in the passage. Jesus is speaking to Thomas. He's saying, have you believed just because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. See, what Jesus is saying here is Thomas you had enough to believe without ever seeing me. You had my, my teachings. You had my word. You had the testimony of your friends whose lives had changed. Your friends came to you saying that a dead man rose again, that they encountered me, and still, that wasn't an, enough for you. Now, it's important to distinguish what Jesus is not saying here because sometimes when it comes to faith, we can just get accused of kind of parking our brain at the door. Like, ah, you don't need that. No, no, no. There's, there's evidence of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. We don't have to park our brains. I actually believe that our doubts, our questions, they lead us to a deeper faith in him. 
But what Jesus is saying in this moment is, is you have enough to trust in me. You have enough to follow me. And with the little that you have, you're going to discover more along the way as I speak to you, as my spirit enlightens you, and as I move within you. So blessed are you, happy are you, who have not seen and yet believed. Blessed are you who call on Jesus and trust in him, even though you have never physically seen him or walked with him. Blessed are you who trust in the reality of the resurrection and Jesus as Lord. We read a passage earlier as Grayson was leading us in worship from, from 1 Peter. And the disciple Peter who followed after Jesus, he would write something similar to what, what John is saying here in 1 Peter 1. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. This is speaking of Jesus. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. What Peter is saying is you, you haven't seen him, but you, you have enough to trust in him, to experience life with him here and now and forevermore. And do you remember where we began this conversation? Where we started with John's intent of writing this gospel account, this biographical account of Jesus' life? Picking up in verse 30, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. These accounts were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one to come, that death could not contain him. That all of our sin, our, our sorrow, our shame has been paid. That debt that we owed, the wages of sin being death, has been paid in full by him. It is finished. It is accomplished. He did that on the cross, and then now he rose from the dead, defeating our great foe of death, that no longer do we have to fear this thing of death. For we have victory in Christ. By believing in his name, you will have life. So this account that John has been writing and been bringing together so that we may believe and have life in his name, it means that even these moments of Thomas's doubt were included to point us to the possibility of belief. That if there's something in Thomas that you resonate with, you're like, yes, I've got a lot of questions. Great, Lean into those questions. Because Thomas was one who said, I will never believe. But he moved to saying, my Lord and my God, because he experienced and he encountered the reality of the resurrection and it changed everything. See, I believe that too often we allow doubt to become our destination and we just stay there. Rather than seeing it as the vehicle that can lead to a deeper faith. In our doubts, it's easy to find ourselves fleeing the proverbial Bigfoot Museum because that's just our impulse. We want to get out of there. We're, we're not sure. There's questions that are arising that we're not sure what to do with. Or maybe we're allowing our past disappointments to, to continue to feed our doubts, to define our doubts, even defend our doubts. But what if instead of hiding behind our doubt, 
What if instead of hiding behind our broken expectations, hiding behind our wounds, what if we leaned into them? What if we leaned into our doubts and we brought an honest doubt, asking our questions, seeking answers from a wounded Savior, now risen, who's offering life? See, my prayer is that in our seeking, in our honest doubt, much like Thomas, we would encounter the reality of the resurrection and learn to welcome resurrection, where we are experiencing death, that once again, the possibility of life can come not through your own strength, but through the strength of our risen King, Jesus. This is the offer that he places before each and every one of us. This gospel message should never grow old to us. It should never not astound us that God in his great love for us sent his son that we might have life in him both now and forevermore. So may we truly welcome resurrection. May we never lose our wonder of this gospel mystery. From the heavens came a savior, from the tomb arose a king. Every day is born in darkness, every winter yields to spring, so let us speak of resurrection, even in our suffering. Speaks the whispers in the silence, sleeps the harvest in the seed, cradle now a new beginning in the heart that dares believe, crucify your hesitation, wounded expectation bring. Will you welcome resurrection? Will you crown the risen king? My prayer is that we would, that we would bring our wounded expectation, that we would bring our hesitations before him and allow our wounded savior to be crowned as the risen king. Will you pray with me? Father, as we dwell in this truth, that you did not stay in a tomb, but you rose again. Jesus, that you defeated death on our behalf, that in you we may have life. God, I pray that wherever our questions seem loud, that we would allow you to speak into them. Lord, that doubt would not be our destination, but we would allow it to be the vehicle that points us to a deeper faith in you. Lord, that we would understand that you are not afraid of our questions. And would you meet us? Would you meet us as you met Thomas? Would you meet us in those moments? And and would you remind us that blessed are those who have not seen you and yet still believe that we... We have enough to give our our faith and our trust in you. But Lord, I'm I'm reminded too of of the story of a man who was seeking you to heal his son. And when he came to you, he said, if you can heal. And you said, if I can. Because you knew you could. And his, his response back to you was, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. 
Father, for any of us in this room that are carrying that, would you help our unbelief? Would you move us from disbelieving to believing in the truth of who you are? That you are a balm to our present pain. That you are a hope to our despair. That you are a redeemer to our recklessness. And that you rescue us and give us life. Jesus, we welcome your resurrection. And we crown you king. We pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, Father, we, we thank you that you truly are a living hope. That Jesus, that you did not stay in that tomb, but that you rose again. And that all who confess your name will have life. All who turn to you will experience life with you and relationship with you. So Lord, may we never lose our wonder of the resurrection. And would you bring life where once there was death in our lives. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, before we head out, if you need prayer, we'll be available down front. I know Easter, it's always like, well, we're getting out early so we can actually make a reservation. Um, but, but if you need prayer, don't, don't miss that moment. If, you, if you're ready to step into life with Jesus and you want to know what that looks like to experience resurrection life in him, please come talk with us. I'd love to pray with you so that you can experience, that you may believe and have life to the full. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. May you encounter the reality of the resurrection. May you experience hope and life in him. And may you know the grace of Jesus. And may you experience his peace. God bless you. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Happy Resurrection Sunday.